Today I'm starting a new communion meditation series, and it's uh, in 1 Samuel, the first chapter of 1 Samuel. The series is entitled Hannah's Prayer. So her prayer is in chapter 2, but we'll build up to that. I'll read verses 1 through 7. This is 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, this gift to us, that not only uh, do, are we made wise by it, but Lord, we are transformed by it uh, spiritually. And so we pray that that would continue to occur, that your Holy Spirit would apply this to our minds and hearts. We give you thanks for your word and for your work in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. So now this series is about Hannah. It's not about the other men that we read about in the story uh, now and what we'll cover over the next few weeks. It's not about Elkanah, her husband. It's not about Eli, the priest at the time, the high priest. It's not about his two wicked sons, which we'll learn more of later. And uh, it's not even about Samuel, for whom the book is titled. It's about Hannah. Now, the Bible is filled with stories of women. And we do tend to focus on the fact that the Bible is male-oriented, male-dominated, and it is. You know, it's said this is a man's world. At least that's historically been said. It's becoming less and less true, perhaps, as time goes by. But it is a man's world. God has made it a man's world. And yet women play such vital roles in this world that we refer to as a man's world. Let's just kind of run through a bunch of them. First, right from creation, you have Eve, the mother of all living things. You have Noah's wife, who then became the second mother of all living things. You have Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, all of these women that are in the line of these patriarchs. Then you come to the time of the judges, which we're seeing the end of here with 1 Samuel. You have Deborah, who led them, essentially, because Barak didn't have the courage. You had Jael, who hammered the tent peg through Sisera's head when he fell asleep in her tent. You have the woman that killed Abimelech that threw the stone off the tower, and then Abimelech did not want to go down in history as having been the man that was killed by a woman. And so he had one of his soldiers thrust him through with the blade. But now we have a record forevermore of Abimelech admitting that he was killed by a woman. 
In the Gospels, you have Anna. I mean, right in Luke, you have Anna the prophetess. And so she, she and Simeon are the two that recognize that Christ has come, the Savior has come. You have Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. You have the three Marys at the cross. I was listening to John last week, and I was struck by how many Marys there are in the Bible. And in this one verse, there were three referenced. You have Martha. You have Tabitha, who was brought back to life, you know, not Dorcas. Same woman, different, different uh, language, but my wife's name. You had Pilate's wife, who was a strong influence on Pilate. She said, do not have anything to do with that godly man. And Pilate wanted to free him, but ended up not according to the prophet prophecy. In Acts, you have a lot of women. Sapphira, Lydia, Priscilla, Rhoda, all of these women that play prominent roles. And there are more. I'm just giving you highlights. In the epistles, you have Eunice and Lois, Timothy's mother and grandmother. You have the uh, elect lady that John writes to in the second epistle. You have Euodia and Syntyche and Philippians that uh, Paul is saying, be reconciled. You're leaving a bad example for the community. So see, just like the men, the women play both roles. There are good examples of good godly women, and there are bad examples. You have Jezebel. I didn't mention Jezebel. And so there are lots of bad women in the Bible. There are many good women in the Bible. So this series, I want to be about this woman, this woman, Hannah. I was at a party last night, a, a, a worker party from my work, and uh, there were a dozen of us, and uh, I was batching it because Tabitha had flown off to California, and uh, I'm sitting at the table, and we'd already been there for like an hour, and then one of, the, one of the ladies asked one of the other ladies, what do you do? What do you do? And that is a loaded question. I myself try not to ask that question anymore of anybody, and I would encourage you men, that if you're asked, that open-ended of a question, what do you do? Don't immediately share your work. I just ask you to not do that. It, it could be inferred as anything, right? What do you do? You could say, I go to church every Sunday. That's how you could start that answer. I go to church every Sunday. You could get it right onto the topic that you want. But you, we all know where that was going. And so the one lady, the wife of a person I work with, the, another wife of a person I work with, what do you do? And then she said that she works with uh, the elderly. She, she's a, like she's studied gerontology and she works with them at these uh, various homes in Omaha. What do you do? So, the, well, I'm, I'm a nurse and I actually do work with them too. So now maybe they already knew that, maybe they just went on to talk about it, but they just met one another. But so this is a loaded question and women who are not working outside the home are made to feel bad in answering that question. That's why I encourage we men to not answer it like you're expected to answer it. Avoid that. And to work with our wives in having them to become comfortable answering that question. No shame whatsoever. No disappointment in sharing the answer to that question. Share it proudly. What do you do? I want to read verses 2 and 6. Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. In verse 6, Hannah's rival provoked her severely to make her miserable. 
because the Lord had closed her womb. So this is at the core of this story, this hurt that Hannah is experiencing. Uh, yesterday, I was waiting for the Army-Navy game to come on. And unlike most people, I tend not to look those things up. What station is it on? What time is it on? I don't know. I just know it's on. And so I'll turn on the TV, run through all the stations, don't find it, shut it off. And then half hour, hour later, I'll do it again. So one time, though, I stumbled into a special that was about the Bushes, George and Barbara Bush. And it, I mean, their marriage is phenomenal. 73 years they were married. Uh, they met at 17. He uh, asked her to marry him at 19. They got engaged. He was in the war. And then two years later, when he got returned from the war, they married. And so they went on to have these children. Now, you remember Barbara Bush. You remember that beautiful head of white hair that she had. Do you realize that she was 28 when she got that white hair? Because her daughter died. George was their eldest, the 43rd president, and uh, he was seven when his little sister Robin died of leukemia. So he remembers very vividly them coming to the school, pulling him out of school, and then telling him in the car. And he remembers it because he expected her to be there, and she wasn't there. And so he was disappointed. I guess they got along really well. He was seven, she was four. But uh, Barbara Bush's hair turned white like that through the stress of losing her daughter, Robin. Yet, the loss of this girl really changed, they all admit that it changed their family dynamics for the better. It made them much closer. The death of a child can often have the opposite effect. It can destroy a family. But here it didn't. It knitted them together. So see, children can do that. They are a, a tremendous blessing. And yet, they do change everything, children. Change everything in our world. And uh, this is why we want them. You know, we don't always uh, appreciate what we get. You know, not all of the moments of uh, uh, children in your home is a joy. Uh, and they do bring great heartache. Oh, wow. You know, you don't experience heartache until you have the heartache of, of uh, something experienced with your children. But Hannah was obsessed with having children, with wanting children. Let me read verse 2 again. I want you to listen to this. Elkanah had two wives. Who's listed first? Two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, Hannah had none. Hannah's listed first. Do you think Hannah was the first wife? I think it's logical. She's listed first. So why would he marry Penina? Well, Hannah's defective. Hannah's not having any children. 
I'm Elkanah. I'm a priest. I want children. And so I'll marry Penina, this other woman who can give me children. So now he is in trouble because he's introduced this problem into his home. He loves Hannah, yet she's not giving him what he wants. He marries this other woman. She's providing him what he wants, but along with it comes this grief of a broken home. We know that this is not God's design. We know that this man ought not to have married both these women, but we're presented with it like this. This is the reality of what they faced. This is the reality of what Hannah was facing. She was facing a situation in her home where she was devalued in the eyes of this other woman, Panina. And nothing that her husband Elkanah could say to her would cause her value to rise because he chose this other woman to come in for the very purpose of having more children. We know, though, that it was God that did not give Hannah children. It is God that opens and closes wombs. Let me read verses 5 and 6. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. We know God opens and closes wombs. And so these people all recognize that. We live at a time in which that is disregarded. We do not have a high regard for God's role in opening and closing wombs, but it's very real. We think we control so much when we control so little. Now, I want to share something with you positive out of this, though. Verse 6. Verse 5. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. You know, Hannah had the love of a good man. And next time we'll see that he tries to play that up more than she is currently reflecting on. So she did have the love of a good man. And for you young people, who knows the story of, of this, what I'm reading? If you're like, let's say, five, you're too old. If you're five, who's five? Anybody five here? Now, I can't ask if you've been five, or everybody would raise their hand. Who's five? Any five-year-olds? You probably don't know if you're five. Parents, if any of your children are five, raise your hands. No, we have no five-year-olds in our church? There we go, we got one. Okay, so now, does your five-year-old know the story of Hannah? No, probably not, right? I mean, you know, they haven't read the whole Bible yet, typically. I think you young people are in for a treat, if you listen, if you pay attention. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? I encourage you to do so. I'll be up here a few times in the coming weeks sharing more from this story, and I want you to listen, pay attention, because you have something to learn. You don't even have to be five. I think you four-year-olds, you three-year-olds might even be able to get it. So see, we come to this table at different periods of our lives, at different realities. What is it that we're facing? What are the challenges? If Hannah were here right now in this situation that she's in, what would she be thinking when he comes up to partake of the Lord's table? God is always here ready to give us his grace, ready to bless us. But yet we don't always have eyes to see what it is God is willing to give us. God is waiting 
to give us. And that's what we have to work on. We have to work on knowing that God wants to give us good stuff. It just might not be today. We might have to go through some difficulties before we get to that. So as we come to the table today, you are somewhere in your walk with God, in the issues of your life that you're facing. Cast it all into God's care. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the circumstances of life that you bring us through. Um, we are quick to want only what's good for us, only what's pleasurable, only what fulfills our wants. And yet, Lord, please uh, educate us. Make us aware of the fact that all of what we're experiencing is for our good. will be used by you to make us uh, more godly, to make us more capable of glorifying you and appreciating you. We give you thanks now, Lord, and ask you to bring us to your table. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we come. Amen.